Welcome back, everybody, to Esports Report. I am your host, Money Monzon, here with Skis. And let me start by apologizing for no show last week. In my other job, I was traveling, and we couldn't get the mic to work out. But we are back, and let me tell you, do we have a packed agenda for you today? We were Skis and I were talking about how we had a packed agenda last week, and we unfortunately had to miss the show. And then VCTNA closed, and open qualifiers happened. Uh, excuse me, not the close, but... Some teams released that got buys into the close qualifiers that we're going to talk about. We also had the CDL kickoff classic. Lots of stuff to talk about. Some surprising results in the CDL from last week. ALGS split one playoff final. Uh, $100,000 on the line for the winner. That uh, that came through. We'll, we'll overview that. Some new teams made their premieres in CSGO. Uh, trying to qualify for Blast Premier Spring. And um, we're gonna we're gonna revive the top five players. Skis, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. A lot of stuff happened while you were gone in Tucson. Um, I'm excited to go over the stuff that we have. Um, and yeah, it's 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 gaming is starting to get into the swing of things, and with all these tournaments, and it's it's been a fun couple of weeks to watch. I'll tell you, February has got to be one of the most exciting months in esports because you kind of have a dry spell in December and January. You're anticipating, you know, roster changes. You're excited to get back into it. And during the year, there's there's always something going on in esports except for December and January. So the anticipation really builds, and it's a really exciting month, and we're really getting into the swing of things. Let's start with the CDL kickoff classic skis. There was a lot of upsets, and the first thing I'd like to talk about is we had previewed in our last show that we expected Atlanta Phase to roll through their side of the bracket, and they promptly lose 3-1 in the quarterfinals, did not win a matchup in the kickoff classic. They lost to Seattle Surge. What did you see? Well, yeah, it's interesting that you say that because they're not the only team that lost their first matchup. Three of the teams that got by all lost their first game. Uh, Minnesota lost 3-0 to New York, and Optic Texas lost 3-1 to the Thieves. Um, it, it's interesting to see this happen. Seattle came out and put a really strong showing. They go all the way to the finals and face uh, Toronto, who's who's been one of the better teams of the past couple years, um, especially at the end of last year. They came on strong. Uh, Toronto ends up beating them in the finals, but strong showing from Seattle. Uh, it goes back to what we were saying before the kickoff class had even happened is these younger teams are going to be able to win because of how fast paced this game is and how low the time to kill is. Uh, you see Seattle just stealing map after map off these so-called higher ranked teams in phase and even New York. And they go in there with uh, Pred and Sib, I believe, and they just are unreal. Yeah, Pred had an amazing showing, a young youngster out of Australia. There was only two matches that went 3-2. That one of them was the opening match with Boston and New York in round 1 and you know, you and I had talked about how we didn't expect a whole lot from New York. They won two matches and they got past Boston who we thought might be a little bit of a surprise, but that was a very close matchup. The other one was LA Thieves versus Toronto Ultra. Um the rest of the bracket was pretty lopsided. I was watching the game four of Seattle and Atlanta, and I thought to myself, there's no way Seattle's going to win this hard point. And 
There was a point when it was about 160 aside, and Atlanta had church locked down, and church is so hard to retake, and they retook it, and I think they got like 40 seconds or so on the next hill, um, which is really surprising to see them do that against a veteran team that should have the rotates down. Um, I think that well, this year's so. Call of Duty is going to be very unpredictable because of the TTK and the maps are, I don't know, for my money, a little wonky <laughs> with some of these game modes. No, they absolutely are, and we see this when we we get away from three-lane maps. Um, right now, I think the closest thing we have to a three-lane map is Gavitu, and it's really small. And playing hardpoint on that map is just absolutely ridiculous. You don't normally see a score cap when you're playing that map just because everybody's running into each other all the time and nobody can break hills uh, from each other holding uh, from outside the hills. Nobody can just get in there because the map is so small. And it's not even necessarily a three-lane map, but it's the closest we have to it in this game. Um, so it's interesting to see what teams are doing these younger teams and uh maybe teams that have been overlooked in the past what they're going to be able to do going forward when we actually get kind of kicked off in the season here up here in three days um but i think it was a good groundwork to see what was going on with kind of how the game is going to be played um but i mean other than that it it was it was definitely a lot of surprises i would say and you know they had a big crowd um the atmosphere was electric and i think that when some of these surprising teams beat some of the bigger teams you really get the crowd into it and um i think overall despite a few issues on land with team speak and things like that i think this this was a successful weekend for call of duty maybe until Clayster was very vocal about his uh, frustration with the CDL's COVID protocols. He got Clayster got home, tested positive for COVID, and spoke out about the lack of masks in the crowd, the front row, the proximity of the staff, and just a, a general overall lack of COVID protocols for a LAN event that he said, quote, doesn't mean anything. Right, and what I read into this is there does need to be some set in stone protocol for these LAN events when you're expecting a massive crowd. Um, they were in Texas. They're very lax with COVID and all that stuff. Uh, so that's something you have to take into account. But, I mean, it, it is unfortunate that some of these pros came home with COVID. Um, you, you never want, I mean, you never want, anybody to be sick let alone your professional players um but that being said i thought i don't really understand what he's saying that it means nothing right it doesn't go down in your record and it there's no like money put up there's nothing like that it's just like a scrimmage basically it's it's basically a land scrim and it, it does mean something it means something because now you see what players are capable of on land as opposed to online. And so him saying that it doesn't mean anything, it kind of struck me the wrong way, but I mean, I mean, to each their own, I guess he's the pro I'm not. So I guess it's kind of whatever he sees fit. It's a classic Clayster 
overreaction, in my opinion. I think that, yes, COVID protocols need to be in place. This is something dangerous. It's affecting our society. Having nobody wearing masks in the front row and promoting that, um, it's frustrating as a player. At the same time, this is your game is dying from a lot of points of view. And having people in person at a LAN event built a lot of hype that this league needed. So from that perspective, I think it was the opposite of meaningless. Even if you don't have a big prize pool or points for the standings, this built some interest in your game, which was not there before this event. Right. And one thing to bring up with the crowds, uh, there was a big uproar about, oh, he used the crowd noise to know he was diffusing. I forget who it was. Um, but, like, the crowd was going crazy because they knew that it was a big moment in the game and, like, they were getting loud and stuff like that. And then, forget who it was, but they came around the corner and killed the guy that was diffusing. Um, and it was a big moment in the match and it swung them to be able to win. Uh, and you just don't get that kind of satisfaction or excitement in a game if you don't have a crowd there. And it's just, you're on land playing in front in front of empty seats and so in from my point of view it was it was very entertaining just to hear crowd noise again yeah and shroud talks about crowd noise in esports and some pros especially in counter-strike have complained about crowds and you know if there's a bigger showing for cloud nine than there is for vitality and you know cloud nine's cheering and screaming when you know, something is happening where the player can infer what's happening during the game. That's part of the magic of a LAN, and it's almost like a home field advantage, and it urges fans to be involved with the game in a way that is not superficial. Right, yeah. And that allows the fans to build a relationship with the game. It's good for the game, and um, I think anybody pushing back against that in an arena shooter like Call of Duty is frankly crazy <laughs> yeah exactly all right skis tell me who uh who stood out to you and uh who underperformed uh who stood out to me i would i mean first and foremost the whole seattle roster uh pred and sib young guys coming in making a statement for themselves early uh they they showed me that they're not here to bow down to anybody they're here to win and win in a fashionable style. They only, I mean, they won two of their four matches, 3-1, and the other one they won was 3-0. So, I mean, they're not just going out to win. They're going to win with some style points on the side, too. Um, so that was a, my biggest surprise there. Um, New York played really well uh, from my point of view. They, they go... 3-0 against Rocker, which nobody really expected. Um, they make it to sem semifinals. LA Thieves makes it to semifinals after beating Optic Texas, which surprised me very well. Um, uh, Toronto is looking like Toronto. I, there's no surprise there. Um, so really, I think I think what we're gonna see a trend in this game is just young guys making a name for themselves in this game because of the way the game is set up. And I think teams with a lot of younger players are going to see a lot of success. Totally agree with you. There was other um, 
big news out of Call of Duty scene this last week, and that is Activision Blizzard sold for a remarkable $70 billion to Microsoft. And I saw that number initially, and I thought that is that is crazy. But you look at the catalog of games that Activision Blizzard owns, and it's World Warcraft, one of the largest games for forever, Call of Duty franchises, Overwatch, uh, Hearthstone, I believe. There, there's some really giant games. And $70 billion, that means a lot to the esports industry. It really validates all the success that video games and esports are having the uh there was other big purchases that did the same kind of thing this last week esl that's one of the leagues for counter-strike was purchased for a billion dollars and face it for 500 million by savvy and this is a tournament organizer this isn't just like buying game developers to add to your catalog for a company that owns a console. This is tournament organizers for esports for $1.5 billion. And Sony's response to Xbox and Microsoft acquiring Activision Blizzard was to buy Bungie, the former Halo developer, uh, now Destiny developer, for $3.6 billion dollars it's almost 75 billion dollars in purchasing of video game assets in the last week yep one week and 75 billion dollars spent it's it's crazy to see these numbers being thrown around for video game developers and tournament organize organizers it's it's crazy to me uh gaming has just come so far man like we were talking to colgar the in our last episode I mean, they were getting $2,000 per team for winning a tournament, and now people are throwing billions around for different games, and it's crazy. Yeah, uh, really remarkable, and it, it speaks to the progress that video games and esports has made, and it's showing no signs of slowing down. Do you think, uh, <laughs> do you think Microsoft you know, enhances that ricochet anti-cheat in Warzone? Or no. So the things that I've seen so far is that Microsoft is committed to kind of creating a cultural shift within Activision Blizzard. And I think that is primary to anything that would get done within games. I think once you get your 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 culture and your your workplace in order, then you can really focus on the things that need to be done to create great things. Um, I think that Microsoft has the assets to create the best anti-cheat in the world. And I think that they see how much money Call of Duty can earn them. And they'll surely want to create a better experience because there's no way they're naive to the um, temperature of the community at the moment. Right. Uh, did you also see that they were? It's rumored that they might be going to every two years release. I think that would be the best thing that's happened to Call of Duty since Modern Warfare Two. Yes. Well, uh, no. You got some good games thrown in there. You got Black Ops Three, Black Ops Four. You got. I mean, Modern Warfare Three wasn't bad. And I'm not discounting AW, all the pros like. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I'm not discounting those games at all. The reason I say that is because. I feel like the spike in popularity of Call of Duty was 
coincided directly with Modern Warfare 2 and kind of grew yeah. steadily after that. Um, by having a uh, release only every two years and being able to focus on putting out a better product, you also have a in a space where games have much longer longe- lifespans and longevity. Um, I think that having a familiar game for two years in a competitive scene is going to allow the fans to be more casual viewers, understand the game better, and be more engaged. Yes. Yeah, I agree. So I think it's a really good move. I think that that will come through probably after 2022. And because they're so deep into development for this year's, I believe, Modern Warfare 2, which should be an exciting release for the Call of Duty community. Yeah, I'm excited for it. Um, All right, moving on to your little expertise here. Um, Talk to me a little bit about the VCT NA closed qualifiers. This was an exciting way to start the season off for Valorant, and for many different reasons. We had new rosters showing off, showing out. We had new rosters crashing and burning. We had Twitter drama. Um, I mean, there was so many reactions on Twitter saying that NA is the most exciting Valorant scene, but it's not because of Valorant. (laughs) It's hard to disagree with it because um, there's a lot of people typing. That is for sure. We'll start with who qualified. So what's happened here is you have open qualifiers to get into the closed qualifier. Once you get into the closed qualifier, you'll play against four invited teams and you're fighting for two spots. There's going to be two open, excuse me, two or three open, three open qualifiers, I believe, to get into uh, a round of 16. And then you're going to have two teams that make it to the first Masters. Now, the teams that were invited were the usual suspects. You had Sentinels, you had Envy, you had Cloud9. Then there was a little controversy surrounding the last team that was invited, and that's 100 Thieves. 100 Thieves has two new, brand new members this year, replacing two of their most important players in Nitro and Steel with Baby J and Eccles. So a lot of people were upset that a complete Rise team who beat 100 Thieves in the last chance qualifier, the last one to get into Champions, um, and haven't made any roster changes, they did not get in. But this was all set out last year beforehand, and whoever had the most points during the season you know, got buys into the close qualifiers. Regardless, 100 Thieves, Cloud9, Envy, and of course Sentinels all through into close qualifiers don't have to play in this 128-team bracket. Now, I think it comes as no surprise to anybody that version 1 just totally ran through this bracket a little bit of a surprise in their upper bracket semifinal to qualify that rise didn't put up more of a fight against them but they blew through a crew complexity and a team that i have never heard of to qualify easily same can be said from x set we talked a lot about cryo cells being added to this roster they only drop one map for the entire thing uh they did beat energy esports and the guard who both made lower bracket runs to qualify and it was a very very strong performance from Xset in the debut of Cryocells. 
Now, this is where it gets interesting. <laughs> FaZe Clan lost to the guard in the round of 32, um, which was a little surprising. Some close matchups, 2-1. to one. The guard ended up qualifying. Okay. Um, then they go straight down. And excuse me, I want to make sure I get this right. They go straight down. They beat Virtuoso handedly and then lose to Kansas City Pioneers. So they lost two out of three games once they got into the round of 32, which is that's really where any of these tier one teams have any sort of competition and aren't playing tier three teams. Kansas City Pioneers is an interesting roster. They have a lot of experience, but I don't think that they're close to being a tier one team. And the guard has a young and exciting roster that really showed up to this qualifier and qualified. So props to them. But FaZe doesn't even make it past lower bracket round two, which it's a new team. We talked a lot about how they were going to build around Baby Bay. This team's maybe been playing together for a month in scrims. They announced the team less, less than a week before the tournament. Overall, I think it's a bad showing. I think that they need more time together, and time will tell whether or not they are going to be a viable Tier 1 team in the Valorant scene this year. Alright, sorry, that was long-winded. The Guard and Energy Esports make it through the lower bracket. I think one of the most surprising things out of this qualifier, I think most people would consider Rise at least at... at a tier Valorant organization and expected them to make it through this bracket. They lose in the lower bracket final against Energy. And the matchup that caused all of the stir was TSM versus T1. And T1 rolls through the first map. They're playing on split. And there's a lot of chit chatter back and forth, a lot of chirping. During the game, Sabrosa tweets at Riot that T1's coach is typing in all chat. Now, if you're not familiar, in VCT, coaches are not allowed to communicate with players unless it is a technical, a team, or timeouts, or halftime. So this suggested to Sabrosa that not only is he typing in all chat he probably that's probably an accident he's been typing in team chat for a long time and it's a big meme now that you know the coach was saying help sewers <laughs> i think it's interesting to assume that the coach is having any difference mid-round when you have a player like steel as your igl but it's not allowed so a few rounds into the second map there's a technical timeout Battlefly, which is the official stats provider of the tournament, uh, records the game as 2-0 to TSM. It's announced later that uh, T1 had forfeited the match. They were disqualified because of you know, a breach of the rules. T1 has suspended their coach. And the memes ensued about TSM being team social media and how you know their best performance was on twitter 
they promptly lost two nothing to a crew in the lower bracket quarterfinals. Uh, overall, really bad showing out of TSM. They won a few matchups. They beat Sore. They beat Luminosity, but not convincingly. They, yeah, they lost to Pittsburgh Knights as well. Just uh, overall, Corey and Wardell, they've got a lot of work to do. So it was an exciting kickoff. We have more games starting tomorrow. We got another open qualifier, so we get to do it all over again. See who's going to try and cheat and see who says what on Twitter. But um, an exciting start to the year in the Valorant scene. So as somebody who doesn't know, how many open qualifiers are there? There is going to be, for this one, three open qualifiers. Okay, so so this will be two of three? Yes, so I believe the way it works is that it'll be another structure like this for tomorrow. And then the last one will be a second chance qualifier. And I don't know if you have to be an invited team for that. You may be. Um, I'll have to look into that some more. But there's three chances for these organizations to get into the the closed qualifier to get into the first Masters event. Gotcha. Well, is that all you wanted to talk about in Valorant? I think so. I think that a lot of these rosters that we've talked about in the past, they're this is a small sample size and they need they clearly need some more practice. Some of the teams that we expected to come in here without change rosters and strong teams came in and dominated. And we had teams like a crew who have been playing together for a little while and have some um really great players that are on the rise came in and had a great showing and I think that maybe even mid season some of these players like Kempeki, Neon, they're going to get signed to other teams. So, yeah, it, it was a good showing from some teams. Some teams really showed that they have a lot to work on, but it was it was exciting first days for Valorant. Good. Um, well, if that's all of our Valorant news, we will move on to ALGS, which is Apex Professional League. Okay, um, we had the first um north american split one final for the playoffs uh the top five teams were cloud nine sentinels esports arena nrg and tsm and that's five to one so tsm ended up winning um tsm's team makeup is uh imperial how reps and verholst Barrels. I don't know how you say it, but I'm going to say it like that. Uh, so that's who won the $100,000. It was a $250,000 prize pool, I believe. Um, and they walked out of there with $100,000 to split between the three of them. Uh, I want to talk about the second place team a little bit, NRG. Their team is made up of Nathan, Rocker, and Sweet Dreams. Um, so these two teams are, in my opinion, probably, probably the best two just, just from sheer dominance and they're always in the end game. Okay. They play their cards right and they set themselves up in positions to be in end game and work the map that the, the way that they want to. 
Um, some of these other teams, such as like Hundred Thieves, came in last. They didn't. They never even hardly made it to eight, late game. From uh, what I saw, they it was a poor performance from them. Um, but these two teams, TSM and NRG, they ma- they mix themselves with not only gun skill but also positioning skill, and that's what leads to success for them. Yeah, I totally agree. And this is a rise back to glory for TSM, who Absolutely. won everything, including basically the only meaningful LAN event in Apex history in Poland um, that started it all. And then they just kept winning everything. After Albert Lely left, Snipedown came on as the controller player. That that was the first controller player because Albert Lely, Reps, and Imperial Hall were all mouse and keyboard players. And they found a little bit of success, but certainly not to the level that they did uh, when they had Albert Lely. Bellhurst comes in. He has some incredible plays. You see him get one of the one of the knocks on, I think, the second to last player outside of uh, launch site in the last game. He was very good, and he complimented Hal, who can really seems like he can be a hard IGL to play for. Um, Reps has certainly sorted out how to do that if he's played with Hal for this long. TSM's back, and it bodes well for them because they're having a hard time in some of these other esports leagues. Yes, and uh, as much as it pains me to say TSM is back, just because Hal is dating AC, you know, that's <laughs> unfortunate for me. But, uh, no, they they look really strong, and uh, it was good to see them uh, go out there and win the split one uh, finals. You One of the surprises for me was G2. Designful, yeah. Resulta, and gentrifying. He, they have been really good over the last year and a mm-hmm. half. These were some young players that kind of played without an Oregon qualified for ALGS playoffs and things like that. They got their Oregon G2. There was some interesting comms leaks from this ALGS playoffs where um, gentrifying is just getting roasted by their IGL designful about not being with the squad and taking fights by himself. And you certainly can't do that in high level ranked apex, let alone in professional apex. Um, a little bit of breakdown in the team morale and the chemistry, which I didn't expect from these three because these three were basically ranked demons. They trio queued together. They wanted to, you know, play together. They played org list together in professional events, and they all wanted to get signed to the same org, and they've had a lot of success. Um, surprising to me. And I contribute it to some of their breakdown in communication that they finish in the eighth position, just in the top ten. Yes, um, and and that's something that you know you don't hear a lot of. Uh, some like if you're just watching a broadcast or anything like that, there's not always like listen-ins to teams' comms and stuff like that. Um, but with this uh, formatted the way it was, they were all. Uh, they were streaming and people went into Designful's chat and I was watching. I was actually watching AC while she was watching and she unmuted it on accident and she like jumped back because of how loud he was yelling. 
and uh, just like railing into his teammates. Uh, and, and when you have stuff like that happen, it doesn't always bode well for the best, I guess. Yeah, I totally agree. A uh, couple surprises in the top 10. I think um, Esports Arena finishing top three is quite a bit of a surprise. You had Torrent finish in the top five. Uh, Yaris, really happy for him. He is a remarkable player. He's very young. And he also had a little bit of controversy back when one of his trio partners was found out to be cheating and a lot of the pros came out and had his back said there's no way he had any idea he's not cheating whatever um he's come out the other side of that and you watch some of his streams he is a a bright vibrant and happy individual at a young age that's one of the best aimers that the community has so good for good for Yuris to to get a top five finish here Uh, so other Apex news moving on from the ALGS. Um, we have a new legend being announced. Um, her abilities actually just got announced too. I don't have those pulled up, but I can pull them up. Uh, we have Mad Maggie coming into the game. Uh, what does this mean to you as opposed, like, what is her role going to be in a match of Apex? Like, what? What are we going to see to combat her, and what are we going to see her doing in order to win gunfights? This one's an interesting one to me, and I'll tell you why. So the passive and the tactical that were leaked were correct. She has kind of a uh, breaching charge as her tactical. It's it, Funny enough, it's like breaches um, Aftershock, where you shoot it through a wall, and it wounds players on the other side of it. Um, I think that's really good for an Apex meta that includes camping buildings and holding down buildings. Um, her passive, she actually has two. She has a shotgun on her leg, apparently, and it only takes one melee kick to bust down a door. Um, that will, that will help high-level ranked Apex players, and that will help in professional matches if she's played... Uh, it, it takes a lot of coordination to execute things like that. Uh, it also takes shotgun shells, so that's an inventory spot that's going to be taken up. She highlights players that she's wounded, so more wall hacks are added to the game. Um, I don't think that replaces somebody like Bloodhound. I mean, you're not finding somebody because of her passive. She has to find somebody. She has to then shoot or wound that person. And then they're highlighted for a very short period of time. So I think the passive's fine. I don't think it's overpowered. It's kind of like combat recon um, perk in Call of Duty. It's not great for the game, but I don't think it's detrimental. The interesting one to me was her ultimate was leaked as a breaching charge that you would put on a wall. And it would blow open all the doors and it would stun the people inside and clear out all the utility. I thought that would be great for the game because it's a hard counter to Caustic and Watson, right. but Watson's not played as much. Um, it turns out it's going to be this rolling ball of things. I don't, I don't even know how it works. but It's like the Raps uh, score streak from Call of Duty. 
Yeah. Basically, what it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're gonna get a you're gonna get a speed boost. It's gonna wound people that it you know gets close to. Um, I think it's pretty underpowered. Um, I don't know how much the speed boost helps. We'll see how much damage it deals. Um, if it does quite a bit of damage, like a Gibeolt, um, I think it's pretty good. If it just concusses people and does a tiny bit of damage, like the Bangalore ult, I don't think Mad Maggie will get much run out. Right. Um, the one thing that I would like to point out, though, when you said um, the little shotgun on her leg is going to take um, shotgun bullets, I don't think it necessarily will ruin inventory just simply because, like, when, when her passive is going her passive ability sorry she also moves faster with a shotgun so whenever you see a mad maggie running around she's most likely going to have a shotgun simply because she moves faster with it yeah that's so, an interesting point i mean i think yeah. that yeah it's gonna be a given that if you're on mad maggie find me a mastiff right yeah i agree with you and a uh, quick little fun fact. She's 55 years old. How about that? Yep. Found that out just now. <laughs> so does that make her older than Horizon? Make her the oldest agent? Uh, I have Excuse no me, Legend. I don't know the, I don't know the other uh, Legends ages. She's the only one I know. I know previously that um, Horizon was the oldest living agent. I think it was 53, but I'd have to fact check myself on that. The oldest human? Yes. Um, nice. We have a... Uh, oh, go ahead. One other big piece of news in the... Call, uh, the excuse me. The Apex professional scene is... Uh, it is confirmed Nick Merckx has a team, and he has rounded out his roster with a very interesting ad in a very interesting situation. Skis? Uh, so Nick Merckx is teaming up with It's Deeds, which we had already kind of leaked. And then he just added Snipedown to join his ALGS roster. Um, Snipedown is going to be taking the role of IGL for uh, Nick Merckx and... Uh, Deeds and they're gonna take a back seat and let him control what's going on in the game, which is the first time he's been able to do that in Apex, which should be fun to watch. Um, one interesting point to point out is Snipedown will continue playing um, Halo Four phase professionally um, while they are going on this ALGS run, but uh, qualifiers don't start for another almost four weeks for ALGS, the split that they're going in. Um, so he has time to focus on Halo for a couple weeks and then switch over to Apex. So it'll be interesting. It'll be fun. Um, it's always cool to see uh, Nick Merckx trying to be competitive again in a game that he loves. And, I mean, that's a little bit biased, but uh, I love what I got to hear the other night whenever they were talking about it and leaked it. Yeah, it's... Um... We've talked about the impact that Nick Merckx has had on the scene, and this is going to be huge for the professional scene because you look at even those ALGS uh, split one playoff viewership numbers when there's $250,000 on the line. 
and it's not anywhere close to any other tier one esport. Um, Nick Merckx is going to bring those numbers closer, and I think that um, everybody over at Respawn, EA, and the ALGS are going to be rooting hard for him to qualify. Yes, absolutely. So let's uh, let's talk briefly. We've got uh, the start of the Counter Strike year. Um, some interesting rosters coming into this year. Some changes. Some players moving back to CS from Valorant to keep an eye on. Um, I want to talk about the Phase Liquid Vitality and EG group um, for the Blast. Premier Spring qualifier. Um, FaZe came out on top of this group. They beat Vitality in the um, the Decider. The Team Liquid, who we spoke a lot about having... Um, excuse me, Nitro come over from Valorant um, to join OC, NAF, and Shocks and Elyse. Um they fall to phase uh, pretty handedly in their first matchup, and they also lost to EG. Now I think this Liquid team, sort of um, the same way that we talked about the phase Valorant team, these guys need a little bit more time. Um, but they did have pretty good showing. I'm sorry, I misspoke. They beat EG in a very close matchup, 17-19. to 19. Um and failed to qualify through group. But um, they need a little bit more time, as does the next team, EG. Um, the notable here is that Stewie2K uh, joined Evil Geniuses as the IGL. Um, they have the hung- Hungarian Cirque on the team, Rush, Breeze, and Timothy Ta Automatic, who came over from um, the Valorant scene. Stewie2K was kind of... Uh, testing the Valorant waters in the offseason, decided not to sign to a Valorant team and went back to CSGO. Um, this is another team that has a lot of potential but doesn't get through groups as Vitality and FaZe are going to go through. Um, FaZe is the NA team out of that bracket that's going to get to play. Really surprising, the day before, uh, Group B, I believe, uh, Navi failed to qualify with Simple. Um, after winning everything at the end of last year, getting a major, they get beat by MIBR 16-12 to 12 on D2, on Dust2, and um, they lose a overtime game to Astralis on Mirage. So Navi is out. Uh, that puts FaZe in a good position to make a run in last Premier Spring. Skis, let's move on from all of that. It's been a very exciting week. It's been a very long podcast. I want to revive the top five players of the week, and I want your... Well, why don't we do it this way? We'll both give our number five, we'll both give our number four, and we'll work down the list because there was a lot going on this week. Skis, okay. start me out. Who is your number five player of the week? Um, number five player of the week. I'm going Halo. I'm going with one of my favorite gamers, Formal. Uh, they they placed second in I forget what the tournament was, but they placed second. 
he is done playing with sentinels and he is trying to find somebody to pick him up basically because he belongs to optic but he does not belong to optic halo uh and he's trying to continue playing halo professionally so uh, but his performance uh this past week was great um I just have to throw him in there just because he's one of my favorites, and that's my number five. And he is looking for team. Uh, Royal 2 actually rejoins Sentinels after a month-long ban for um, VPNing in qualifiers. So that is an interesting bit of news, but Royal 2 is back. That's why Formal's out and looking for work. My number five player of the week is Capsule. Capsule... Um, had a really great debut in the Call of Duty Kickoff Classic. I think that he is one to watch for, and I think he's going to have a great rookie season. So, Capsule, number five. Money Mom's on. Uh, my number four uh, is actually Neptune of the New York Subliners. Um, Neptune was, he was playing at the higher level than clay and Krim at for most of the time in their run to the semifinals um neptune to me was the kind of cornerstone in that team to help them get to where they got in the kickoff classic so that's my number four excellent stuff there i am gonna go with phase rain and twist had one of the best tweets of the week in a week filled with gaming tweets and i can't really say that one on the podcast you can look it up for yourself but uh phase rain the norwegian plus three kd he had a, a high adr a 1.21 rating phase win the group and move on into blast premiere spring number four for me phase rain okay moving on to my number three i have I have Sib at my number three of the Seattle Surge, another young player. Um, him and Pred uh, are dominant. They they absolutely showed up to win, and uh, they just rolled through whoever they needed to until they met up with Toronto in the finals of the Kickoff Classic. And um, Sib, Sib wasn't – I mean, he still slays, but he's not – quite as good as one of my next players so i'm not gonna necessarily go that far but yeah my number three is sib excellent my number three is gonna be pred pred uh blew up the social media verse with his performance against phase and rightfully so um seattle call of duty fans were praising his performances all through the tournament uh along with sib those two really were the MVPs of the tournament, in my opinion. They overperformed expectations and led Seattle on what couldn't have been a better opening weekend. I'm piggybacking off you. My number two is Pred. So there you have it. <laughs> Excellent. Say less. Um, number two for me, uh, it is going to come as no surprise that it's out of the Valorant world, but it's going to be V1 Zelsus. Uh Version 1 had a lot of expectations coming into the open qualifier. 128 teams, tons of matchups, so many matchups, one after another over a four-day stretch. Uh, 
it's really easy to have a letdown, and many of these teams did. Version 1 did not lose a map. Zelsis was one of their best players. Uh, he comes in at number 2 for me. Who is your player of the week, Steez? My player of the week is coming from COD, just like four of my five players. <laughs> uh, my number one player of the week, it's really hard for me to pick somebody from this team just because of how dominant they were in the finals against Surge. But my number one player is going to be Kleenex. Uh, Kleenex, there was, they were playing um, Hardpoint on, oh, I forget the map's name. It's one of the dark maps. I forget what it's called. But there was a point where he was 18 and 3. And that right there, just whenever I was watching that, I was like, yep, that's my player of the week. Because uh, him and his team were absolutely dominating. And he was just out slaying everybody. So that's my number one of the week. Well, who is your number one of the week? Mine is going to be a player that we talked about and highlighted uh Last podcast, that's Cryocells. Cryocells joins this Xset team. He played only Jet during this tournament. He had a ACS of 291 for the tournament. Uh, there was a point when I was watching one of their first matchups on Breeze, and he whiffed a pretty easy shot. He went on to hit, I think, eight shots in a row over the next three rounds with the Operator, and some of them were just absolute insanity. He is the piece that this team needed. Xset looked the part. Cryocells looks the part. This is going to be a team that plays in international land events this year. I would bet the farm on that, and Cryocells will be a big part of that. Big week for him. He's my number one player of the week. Cryocells with the Oppa Stoppa. Let's go. <laughs> Let's go. Skis, I think that's going to wrap it up for today. This was an excellent podcast. I've been waiting for this. Um, I look forward to our podcast and with the seasons all getting started, it's only going to get better. Uh, you can find us on uh, Twitter at Esports Report US. You can find us on Spotify, Esports Report, Stitcher, Esports Report. You can find skis at twitch.tv backslash LIL skeezers. And you can find me, Money Monzon, at twitch.tv backslash Money Monzon. Make sure to uh, drop us a follow, a like, a share, and if you have any things you want us to talk about next week, make sure you stop by our Twitter, leave us a little bit of note, stop by our Twitches, say hello, let us know you came from the podcast. And for skis, I'm Money Monzon. Catch you next week.